Please turn in your copy of God's Word to the second letter of John. The second letter of John, right after 1 John, you have 2 John, right before 3 John. Now, as you are turning there, I want to remind you of the immense privilege we have to open up the Scriptures each and every Sunday. It is here in God's Word where we come to know the truth. As Psalms 119, 160 exclaims, The sum of your word, O Lord, is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endure forever. We can approach the scriptures with confidence, knowing that in it we have the sure testimony of the truth as revealed in Jesus Christ. It is this truth of the gospel that transforms us into a people of truth. So let us now listen with eager expectation as we turn to 2 John, the letter 2 John. Let's look at verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let's now ask the Father for the Spirit's help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing your truth to us in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that your word will transform our hearts and sanctify us. Lord, we ask that your spirit will show us the glory of Christ, who is the full revelation of truth. Lord, we ask that you'd apply your loving words to our hearts so that we might endure in faith and obey your commands. Lord, we ask that you'd have mercy on those who remain deceived in their sin that you might cause them to be born again through the preaching of the gospel. And all this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> in 1990, Tim Berners-Lee invented the World Wide Web, which has become the internet as we know it today. This World Wide Web, WWW, offered easy access to information through websites. Now, we have come a long way since the days of dial-up. 
Today, you can access the internet anywhere from your phone. According to one website, there are over 5 billion people, 5 billion people who use the internet or social media platforms today. And all this activity online can make us feel like we are well-connected. But slowly and surely, we are being deceived. This online world creates a facade of community, but it is a shadow what, God's, what God originally intended. You see, God created us to dwell with Him and with one another in the flesh. We were never created for online relationships. But sadly, even the church is being deceived. Listen to what leaders from the Southern Baptist Convention in the United States are saying about this online church. In discussions with several hundred young pastors and church leaders, incredible stories surfaced, including indications that some churches are reaching exponentially higher numbers through online formats. As one young pastor said, look at, like, look at it like this. Every like you get online is the equivalent of checking present at some event at your church. This is your church in the new normal. Every church now is a multi-site church. Your YouTube channel, your Facebook page, your church website, your Instagram, and your Twitter feed. These are your online church buildings where people are showing up. Just let that sink in for a moment. These are church leaders. Friends, we live in dangerous times. What do you think happens when churches begin to mess with God's design? Brothers and sisters begin to fall away from the faith. Friends, when you neglect to gather with the saints, you are like a zebra who is isolated from the pack. You make yourself an easy target to Satan, who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. When you neglect to gather with the church, you leave yourself vulnerable to the lies of the devil, the temptations of this world, and even the deception of your own sin. But in his sovereign wisdom, God has not left us to ourselves. Rather, he has given us the local church in the flesh and blood as a safe haven for our souls. Friends, we need one another so that we might persevere or endure in the faith. And this is actually why John wrote this letter. The church in his day was also under assault from false doctrine. So John wrote, the, wrote to these saints to remind them of the truth that guards their faith. You see, God defines, purifies, and protects our loving fellowship in the church through the ministry of truth. We see in this text that God defines, purifies, and protects our loving fellowship in the church through the ministry of truth. So here in 2 John, the author offers four gifts, four gifts that the truth produces in our local church as we minister the word to one another. First, the truth unites us. The truth unites us. We see this in verse 1 to 3. First, we'll see under this point that the truth defines our relationships. So look at verse 1. Verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. 
Now here in the first three verses, the author begins his letter with a formal greeting. And he identifies himself as the elder. Now at first glance, it is hard to distinguish who wrote this letter. But if you spend any time reading it, it becomes quite clear. The author of 2 John is the same one who wrote 1 John. The internal witness of the letter is so similar in content that it's undeniable that John the Apostle wrote this letter. But why does he call himself the elder? Well, think about what that title communicates. It communicates his authority as an apostle, so he must be listened to, but it also communicates his pastoral heart. You see, John clearly loves his hearers, who he calls the elect lady and her children. Now, who is this elect lady and her children? Well, there are two main interpretations of this phrase. John could either be referring to a church member and her children, or John could be referring to a local church and her members. Now, I want to give you three reasons why it is the latter, that John is referring to a local church and her members. First, we see in verse 12 that John uses the plural you to describe the elect lady. He says, though I have much to write to you, that's you all. Second, we see that John uses the same language to describe another church in verse 13. He says, the children of your elect sister greet you. Finally, this is a common biblical way to describe God's people as elect lady. For instance, Paul describes the church as the bride of Christ in Ephesians 5. So here, John is writing to a particular local church and her members. Now, John defines the parameters of their relationship. He says in verse 1, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. So first, he says that their relationship is a relationship of love. He dearly loves this body. But what does that mean, that John loves this church? You see, different cultures have different definitions of love, even in the church. For instance, in the United States, where I come from, our culture values authentic relationships. So church members might feel loved by her pastors if they feel genuinely cared for. Now, authentic relationships are a good thing, but we need to be careful to not allow cultural preferences to to define loving relationships in the church. Rather, true love is defined by the truth. Did you see that in the text? John's love, he loves them in truth. This is the quality of John's love. It's not abstract or defined by his own culture or even his preferences. Rather, this love is clearly defined by a certain standard, a standard that is found in the truth of Scripture. Now, friends, this should be very comforting to you. If you know yourself, our love can be fickle. It can change. It can be persuaded by our feelings. It can be manipulated or damaged. But true love is defined by the objective truth in the Bible. True love is defined by the objective truth in the Bible. So the scriptures, not your feelings or what you think, determine what is love and what it is not. So if God's word is the standard of truth, you and I need to know the scriptures. 
And more than that, we must allow the Scriptures to inform our standard of love. Do not allow your feelings to determine what is loving. Do not allow your culture or your upbringing to determine what is loving, but rather let God's Word inform and transform how you think and feel. So the truth defines our relationships in love, but the truth also binds us together. The truth also binds us together in love. Look again at verse 1. John writes, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also who know the truth. Now this is an an amazing statement. He says that not only I love you, church, but also all who know the truth love you as well. Now John is not talking about some intellectual knowledge. No, he's talking more than that. An intimate knowledge of the truth. You see, we have a common bond and a common love for everyone who knows the truth. You have a common bond and a common love. If you love the truth and know the truth, then you'll have a common love for others who also know the truth. This truth binds us together. This is the fellowship that we enjoy with the universal church, that church from all times and all places. But, but how can this be? We'll look again at verse 2. He tells us, It's because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Our common love for one another is grounded in the truth that dwells in us. We know the truth and we're defined by this truth. This truth will be with us forever. This truth changes our relationships and transforms our eternity. You see, this truth fundamentally changes us in the core of our being. We are like that good soil that Jesus talks about in his parable. Unlike the seed that falls on rocky soil or is choked by the cares of this world, the truth of God's word takes deep root in our hearts. And it's this truth that regenerates our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be a Christian, to have the truth dwelling in you, to be people of the truth. But ultimately, the truth binds us to one another because the truth has bound us to Jesus Christ. Our union with one another finds its roots, its ground, its footing in our union to Christ. Look at verse 3. Listen to this greeting. He says, Grace mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Now, unlike most greetings in the New Testament, John here gives his greeting as a promise. He gives it as a promise. He says that grace, mercy, and peace will be with you. And this comes not by your own merit, but it's a gift. Did you see that? It comes from God and from Jesus Christ, his son. It's nothing you can earn, but it's freely received just as it's freely given to us. But notice how John qualifies this gift, this gift of grace, mercy, and peace. He says that God gives it to us in truth and love. You see, that same truth that defines our love relationships 
That same truth that abides in us forever is the same truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's this truth of the gospel that unites us to Christ and to one another. This is our common bond of love and our fellowship in the truth. And this is how God has always intended it to be. God created us to enjoy our fellowship with one another in his presence forever. Right relationship with God, leading to a right relationship with one another. But in the garden, Adam and Eve chose to believe a lie rather than the truth. And from that day, all of us are alienated from God and from one another. Our only common bond now is the sin that deceives us. But God, being rich in mercy, his grace, sent his only son to reveal the glory of his truth. You see, Jesus Christ came to earth to reveal God's truth, the fullness of grace and truth. Jesus Christ reconciles back to God through his atoning death and resurrection on the cross. We see what true love is like when Jesus laid down his life for those who trust in him. He reconciles us back to God and he reconciles us back to one another. When you trust in the gospel, you're instantaneously united to Christ through faith and united to one another. You are brought into the family of God. And this is defined by truth and love, by the gospel. So our fellowship with God in Christ and our fellowship with one another is grounded in the gospel of our Lord and Savior. This is the union that we have in the universal body of Christ, but it also is the thing that defines our fellowship here in a local church. The truth serves like a fence around our fellowship with one another. Friends, we are not united here at Grace Church around preferences or culture, but around the gospel. This is, in fact, why we practice regenerate church membership. It's not because we love it to to exclude others, but because we love the truth. Church membership is a gracious gift to help us guard our love for for one another and guard our witness to the truth. Members of Grace, we must always remember that the gospel is the grounds of our fellowship. We must allow God's word to determine how we ought to love one another, which brings us to our second point. So the truth unites us, And second, the truth transforms us. And we see this in verse 4 to 6. So once we are brought into the family of God, what marks our fellowship in the local church? Well, the truth transforms us and bears fruit in our relationships. First, we see that the truth bears witness in verse 4. Look again at verse 4. John writes, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we are commanded by the Father. Now, it caused John great joy to find some of these members walking in the truth. To walk in the truth simply means to obey the commands of Scripture, to to obey the commands of God. The word walk here refers to a way of life. This is the person who not perfectly, but consistently walks in obedience to God. And this is evident to others. 
Did you notice that in the text? John could see their lives, and there was no doubt in his mind that they were walking in obedience. He did not need some internal investigation. Rather, the gospel that dwells within us so radically transforms our lives that it is evident to all. This is what a credible testimony looks like. It confesses a right understanding of the gospel, right understanding of the truth, but it also lives consistently with the truth. Now, when the elder, John, uses the word some here, that he found some of your children, he's not saying that there are others who are not walking in the truth. He's not saying, oh, there's some who are walking, but others are not. Rather, the witness of some revealed something about the overall health of that congregation. This would be like if some members from Rack Church visited our, our, our body this afternoon, or this morning, and after the service, we got to spend some time with them, and we witnessed their undeniable love for Christ. We would rejoice to know that Rack Evangelical Church is walking in the truth. The testimony of their individual members sheds light on the faithful ministry of that body. Members of Grace Church, your spiritual health, your individual spiritual health, is an indication of our health as a church. It's an indication of our ministry to one another as a local church. So if many saints are not doing spiritually well, then maybe we need to grow in how we minister the gospel to one another. Our obedience should be evident to all, undeniable, that we are walking in the truth. So the truth bears witness, but it also bears fruit of joy. Did you notice what caused John to rejoice in verse 4? It's the faithfulness of others. He rejoiced greatly to see this congregation walking in obedience. He rejoices to see their progress in the faith. He's like the Apostle Paul, who called the church in Thessalonica his joy and crown before the Lord. Friends, Christian joy is always concerned with the welfare of others. Christian joy is always concerned with the welfare of others. We rejoice with those who rejoice because we are united together as a body of Christ. So think of the example Paul uses when talking about marriage, how a husband and wife are one flesh. When the husband nourishes his wife, he nourishes himself. Beloved, we are many members of one body. This is why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So we should rejoice when we see others growing in the faith. Beloved members of Grace Church, one of the greatest joys as your pastor is to see you walk in the truth. I rejoice when I hear testimony of Chris Potashio laboring hard to teach the youth, or when I witness Christine and Nadine serving our Grace Kids ministry. I praise God when I hear about Neville's gospel ministry on campus or Priya's faithfulness in the women's ministry. I'm glad when I hear of Aji's zeal to care for others and pa- Pastor Alex's tenacity to disciple others. I rejoice to see Dinu and Naveen and Dion serving behind the scenes while Pastor Sampson is on sabbatical. 
I rejoice to see so many moms, even like my own wife, serving other women, even while they're burdened with tasks at home. Members of Grace, do you also rejoice to see one another walk in the truth? Are you glad, even if your name was not called just now? Are you overjoyed when you hear about the faithfulness of your fellow brothers and sisters here or in other churches in the UAE? Or are you quick to compare yourself and become jealous? The scriptures tell us that jealousy and bitterness is demonic and it's not of the truth. We must repent of our worldly comparisons and rejoice in the good of others. So the truth bears fruit of joy, but it also bears fruit of love. Look at verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. You see, the truth not only defines our love, as we saw in verse 1, but it also bears fruit of love. Now, I want you to notice two things from John's request. First, notice how John makes this request. Though he has the authority as an apostle, he could command them and say, you must love one another. What does he do? He gently asks them, reminds them of their call to love one another. Even more astonishing, the elder, John, includes himself in this request. Did you notice the use of the first person plural, we? This is the command that we love one another. He's including himself. You see, the, commands for, the command is for all Christians, including the Apostle John. Beloved, when your pastors stand here to preach, we stand under the word as we deliver it to you. This is our authority. Your pastors are members of this local church. And your pastors need to be reminded of God's commands just like you. All of us need to be reminded of the command to love one another. Now notice John's reminder. So we notice how he made this request. But notice that he is reminding the body. He's reminding them. Look again at verse 5. He says, Not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning that we love one another. This is not a new commandment. This is something this church knows already. Now here, the apostle could be referring to the Levitical law, such as Leviticus 19.18, which states, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But more likely, John is referring to the command Jesus gave his disciples in John 13, verse 34. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. You see, this command is not a new revelation from John. Rather, it's something that the brothers and sisters have already received. They've already received it from the Lord Jesus Christ. But why then does John recall this commandment? Well, because we are forgetful people. We need to be reminded of the truth. This is actually what we're doing every Sunday when we open God's Word. We're stirring up one another to love and good deeds. But maybe you're asking, well, then what does it mean to love one another? Well, John tells us in the next verse. So the truth also bears fruit of obedience. Look at verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, 
so that you should walk in it. Let's walk in love. So we love one another, John says, by obeying God's commandments. Now, maybe you're thinking, how can my obedience to God be loving to others? How can my obedience to all of God's commands be fulfilling that commandment to love one another? Well, just think about it. How is your love for God practically lived out in your life? For instance, let's say you're reading Matthew 6 in your morning devotion. In verse 19, Jesus commands us to store up treasures in heaven. Jesus then says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And you hear that, and you think to yourself, I love God. I don't love money. I don't serve money. I want to honor God with my resources. So what do you do? Send a direct deposit to the first Christian bank of heaven? No. You give generously to others in the local church. You demonstrate your love for God as you support the ministry of the church and give to the needs of others. You love God, obeying the command to love Him more than money, and you do this practically by loving one another. Or think about the command to forgive others, just as we've been forgiven by God. This is how the gospel transforms us from selfishness and bitterness to those who love the truth. But if we do not love one another, John says in his first epistle, then the truth actually isn't in us. The truth actually isn't in us. As he says in 1 John 4, 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he can't, who has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Beloved, our love for God is put on display in this assembly as we love one another. So if our love for God is made known by how we love one another, then we must pay close attention to how we live and how we treat one another and how we love one another. Friends, this is why we have a church covenant. This church covenant summarizes all of our obligations as members. Let me encourage you to think over the church covenant this week. Ask God to expose areas where you're not honoring Him in your love for others. And come prepared to remember the truth of the gospel and take part of the Lord's Supper next Sunday. The truth will bear fruit of love in our fellowship. So the truth unites us, the truth transforms us, and point number three, the truth protects us. We see this in verse 7 to 11. Verse 7 to 11. The truth that unites us together bears a particular fruit of Christ-like love. And John says this love guards and perseveres our fellowship in the faith. So look again at verse 6. He says, And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For, that's the reason. Why should we love one another? 
For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. We must walk in love and love one another because many deceivers are in the world. Now, who are these deceivers? And what does it have to do with the church? Well, the word deceiver here is someone who leads others away or into error. John even calls this person an antichrist. That is someone who denies Christ, who is against Christ. You see, these deceivers were teaching doctrine contrary to the sound words of the gospel. Did you notice what they're teaching in verse 7? They were, confess- they were not confessing the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is a clear denial of Christ's humanity, that he was fully man, just as he was fully God. You just think about how devastating this type of teaching has on a church. Not only does it deny that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised son of David, but it denies the gospel message itself. Hebrews 2, 14 to 17 tells that Jesus became flesh and blood. He became fully man so that he might destroy the one who has the power of death and make propitiation for our sins. If Jesus did not come in the flesh, there is no atonement on the cross. There is no bodily resurrection and there is no forgiveness of sins. And these deceivers are going around in the world saying Jesus is not fully human. In doing so, they're denying the gospel message itself, the core tenets of the faith. Now, why does John concern himself with these deceivers? Why does he talk to the church about these deceivers? Remember the reason. He says, we must love one another, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Well, these deceivers are out there. They've gone out into the world, presumably out from other churches. They're now roaming around. They're now going town to town, church to church. They are deceivers trying to persuade brothers and sisters to follow them and not follow Christ. And in doing so, they're trying to others, persuade others to make shipwrecked of the faith. So what does John say? What does it look like to love one another? Well, he tells us in verse 8 to 11. What does it look like to love one another in light of the danger of these deceivers? He says, watch out. How do we guard our fellowship? Well, first he says, watch your life. Watch yourselves. Do you notice that in verse 8? He says, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Friends, the first line of defense in our love for another is watchfulness. It's watchfulness. John commands us to watch over ourselves and one another called to watch our lives and our doctrine, called to watch ourselves and one another. The word watch means to look or see, and it's a command, it's an imperative. This is of urgent importance. We are to be like watchmen during the days of war. Watchmen would look out for any enemy who would try to infiltrate their defense. Watchmen were the first line. This was a matter of life and death. And for us, It's a matter of eternal life and eternal death. In the Old Testament, God called Ezekiel to be a watchman over the house of Israel. And his task involved watching over others by speaking the truth. 
He warned others of their sin, and he called them back to repentance. So the first way we love one another and guard our fellowship is by being watchful. Now, there are at least three, sorry, there are at least four things we must do to be watchful. There's at least four things we must do to be watchful. First, we must know the truth. We must know the truth. So if you do not know the scriptures, you will not know what to look out for. You do not know what looks dangerous. What is sound doctrine? What is false doctrine? We know that sin clouds our judgment. We're not able to think rightly or see properly. So we must know the scriptures and allow the scriptures to examine our hearts and our minds and sober our thinking, sober up. The scriptures bring clarity to our hearts and minds, exposes our sins so that we can expose sins in one another. So we must know the truth if we're going to speak the truth and watch over one another. So we must know the truth to be watchful, but we also must know one another. If we're going to be watchful over each other, we need to be in each other's lives. How can I know that a brother's soul is in a dangerous place if I do not know how he's doing spiritually? Friends, we must have spiritual conversations, which means we must be intentional. Sometimes this looks like meeting a brother one-on-one every week. But it also can mean having thoughtful conversations after church. At lunch this afternoon, ask someone how they're doing spiritually. Ask someone how you can pray for them. I know that barbecue season and camping season is upon us. Take advantage of these times. Yes, enjoy one another. It's great to be together. But let's be intentional. Let's have spiritual conversations, even around the bonfire. Let's use every opportunity. Remember, it's a life or death situation. We're called to care for one another. So let's have spiritual conversations, whether it be at home or camping or after church. So we must, to be watchful, we must know the truth, we must know one another, and we must speak the truth in love. You cannot be watchful if you do not speak the truth in love. And this takes thoughtfulness, doesn't it? For instance, if a sister is discouraged, you don't come shooting truth like a machine gun, but rather you patiently encourage her with the truth. If a brother is running in sin, you don't tell him, everything's going to be okay. No. You warn him that if he continues in his sin, he will not inherit eternal life. And then you remind him of the Savior who died for him. You call him to repent and trust again in Jesus Christ. So to warn one another, to be watchful, we must know the truth, we must know one another, we must speak the truth in love, and we must remember our reward. We must remember our reward. Did you notice the purpose or end goal of watchfulness in verse 8? Look again at verse 8. John says, watch yourself, watch yourselves, so that, it's a purpose statement, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So we watch over one another so that all of us may receive the reward. Here John is talking about the reward of faith, eternal life. And John had worked very hard in his ministry to preach the truth to this church so that they might persevere in the faith. This is what gospel ministry is all about. It's hard work. 
It's hard work for the good of others. It's hard work for the eternal good of others. Friends, we watch over one another so that all of us might get to heaven. Members of Grace Church, we must work hard to love one another and care for one another. It will cost you time, your resources, and energy. There might be late-night conversations or hours of counseling another brother who's falling in sin. It might cost you that vacation you desperately need because a sister is being led astray. It might cost you your retirement as you choose to invest your finances in the ministry of this church and the needs of others. But friends, what cost is it to spend ourselves for the eternal good of your brother and sister? Have we not already received the eternal riches of Christ? He who left heaven and became poor so that we might become eternally rich? Is there any greater work, any greater way to spend your energy, your time, and your lives on to help others get to heaven? Now here in verse 9, John gives a scenario of two type of people. So he's still talking about our endurance in the faith and watching over one another. And he says two things. There's two types of people as you consider these things. So look at verse 9. He says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So two types of people. Everyone or anyone who goes on ahead does not have God. But those who abide in the teaching, this teaching of truth that we've been talking about, has both the Father and the Son. First, let's talk about that person who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. The emphasis here is that person does not remain in the teaching. He runs on ahead to any false doctrine that tickles his ears, like online church. He's quick to leave the teaching of Christ, the sound words of the gospel. The teachings of Christ is the sound words of the gospel revealed in the scriptures. And it's plain. Any person who leaves the teaching of Christ, the gospel, does not have God. We know that Jesus is the way, truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Friends, it doesn't matter how good you think you are. If you reject Christ's word, if you reject the gospel, you do not have God. You do not have God. Don't be fooled by what the world might trick you to think or believe. We're not all going to some mountain peak and having different ways to get there. There's only one way to God, and his name is Jesus. If you reject Christ's word, you do not have God. But the second person here does not run ahead, but abides in the teaching of Christ. This is the person who's like the disciples who told Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. To abide in his teaching means by faith we trust in the gospel each and every day. We trust in the finished work of Christ each and every day as we read the scriptures. Which one are you? Let me ask you, which one are you? Are you one who quickly goes after other doctrines that tickles your ears? Or are you one who remains faithful day by day, 
to that old faithful book. If you, in, in here, John tells us that if you abide in the teaching, if you remain, if you continue in faith, you don't leave sound doctrine, but you remain in sound doctrine, abide in sound doctrine, then you will have the Father and the Son. This actually is the reward that John has been talking about. How rich a treasure we possess in Jesus Christ our Lord. His blood, our ransom and defense. His glory, our reward. The sum of all created things is worthless in compare, for our inheritance is him whose angels, who praise angels declare. Friends, to Jesus Christ, the Son, and God the Father, to our triune God of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit belong all power and all wisdom and all might and all honor and all wealth and all glory and all blessings forever and ever. He holds everything that is good in this life. He is the very definition of what is pleasing, what is excellent, what is lovely, what is true. And he welcomes everyone, anyone who remains faithful to the end, who perseveres in the faith, who does not leave sound doctrine, but remains in the sure and steady anchor of Christ's word. And he offers, offers unlimited, unending, unfathomable riches of his glory to those who continue in the faith to the end. So what should you do? Well, if you're a believer... You should remain in his teaching. You should abide in him each and every day. We can do nothing apart from him. So come to him by faith. Read his word. Pray over his word. Confess your sin and hope in his sure promise, his sure truth, that everyone who trusts in him will surely receive the reward of heaven. You should remain in his teaching and you should read rich theological books. Friends, doctrine, sound doctrine, is not just for intellectual scent. It is for your endurance. It is for your endurance in the faith. How else are you going to spot false doctrine if you don't know sound doctrine? Just like someone who knows a counterfeit bill by examining the true bill, so too we must examine pour over the scriptures. We must know this word so we can easily de de detect false doctrine and run away. Knowing sound doctrine, reading rich theological books is for your endurance, it's for your good. And it's for the good of others. It's not just about us. It's for your brothers and sisters. So yes, stockpile your bookshelves, but don't do it for yourself. Do it in love for others. Get busy reading sound doctrine and having book discussions and reading hard theological books so that we together might watch over one another and receive the reward of those who remain in him. Grace Church, I praise God for you and your love and excellence for sound doctrine. I know here at this church, we easily detect false doctrine, but I want to encourage you to excel all the more. Continue, persevere, keep going. So we watch over our lives. We watch over one another. We abide in sound doctrine. 
and we exclude false teachers. Remember, all of this is in the category of loving one another so that we might endure to the end. This is how we protect our fellowship. This is how we love one another and endure to the end. We watch over our lives, we watch ourselves, we abide in sound doctrine, and we exclude false teachers. Look at verse 10 to 11. John writes, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the teaching of Christ, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So here, John gives us some practical application. He gives a condition and a right response. A condition and a right response. He says, if anyone does not bring the teaching of Christ, these sound words, then what are you to do? He says, do not receive him in your house. That's a command. Do not receive him in your house. Now, why is John all of a sudden so concerned about hospitality? Why does it matter who you, ha- who you have in your house or not? Well, in those days, who you had in your home, especially when you welcomed travelers, you were offering the right hand of fellowship. You were offering the right hand of fellowship. So think about when Jesus sent out the 72 disciples. He told them to go and preach in the towns of Israel. And he says, those who receive you, what do you do? You remain with them. And they are blessed. But those who do not receive you, he says, do not receive me. Do not receive my teaching. So to receive someone is to receive their teaching. It's to participate, to be fellowshipping with them. This wasn't just an Airbnb. It was much more than that. Remember, in our passage, what's going on? Remember the context. So deceivers had left their own church. Presumably, they had been excommunicated. And now, they are traveling town to town. And what were they doing? Well, they needed a place to stay. And to welcome them into your home, John says, was to welcome the message they brought. To welcome them into your home is to welcome the message they brought. He says, don't even greet them. Don't even greet them with a warmer greeting. If you show hospitality, if you have them in your homes, or if you greet them with a warm welcome, what are you doing? John says that you are actually taking part in their wicked works. You are fellowshipping with those who deny the faith. Whether you realize it or not, you are directly or indirectly supporting their work. Without knowing it, you've allowed a serpent into the garden. You've exposed yourself to danger, and you've exposed other members to danger as well. So how does this apply to us today? Well, John is not excluding you from inviting unbelievers into your home, okay? He's not excluding you from inviting unbelievers into your home. Rather, He is forbidding you from hosting anyone who claims to be a Christian and denies sound doctrine. He's forbidding you from hosting anyone who claims to be a Christian and denies sound doctrine, especially if he is a teacher, especially if he's going around and teaching a different gospel. For instance, I know there are many types of churches 
in our country and in our city. In our context, there are different gospels that are going around. For instance, if you have a Pentecostal friend and your friend is teaching that the Spirit is a a power, not a person, if he's teaching some form of modalism, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are not individual persons, yet united in their Godhead, you should not welcome him into your home. You can be friends, sure, but do not welcome him into your home. You're supporting his work. You're supporting his false doctrine. Or think about those who've been excommunicated from other churches. If someone was disciplined in another church in the UAE, we do not welcome them as brothers. Our welcome is not warm. Come, join us. Rather, it is sober. It's a warning. It's a call to repentance. We tell them, turn from your sin. Turn to Christ. And return to that fellowship from which you came. Friends, excluding others can be a loving thing. Excluding others can be a loving thing. It is loving when a body seeks to guard the unity and purity of the truth. It is loving to protect our purity as a congregation. But it is also loving to that false brother. It gives you an opportunity to preach the gospel and to show him that he's not welcomed in this fellowship of saints unless he repents. Friends, I know there are many of you who are attending our church regularly. And as we say at the beginning of our service, we are truly glad that you are here. But we want you to know that we purposefully exclude you from things like the Lord's Supper. We want to press on your conscience your state before God. You probably feel like an outsider, and that's because you are. You are outside this community of believers. You are outside our fellowship. We are making a statement about you. We do not think you belong to the truth, that you're deceived by your own sin. In fact, the Scriptures tells us that if you deny the gospel, that you are dead in your sins, cut off from God's presence forever. This is the state of every unbeliever, whether you're in this room and you're six years old, little children, whether you're 16 or you're 60. And if you remain in your deception, you will be cut off from God's glorious presence forever. You will receive the due penalty of your error when you endure the torment of God's wrath for your sin. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of mercy and grace, is that God has made a way to bring you into his family. You can be brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. He died for everyone who will repent of their sins and trust in him. He bore the penalty of sin, and he rose again, conquering sin and death. He conquered that deceiver, and he conquers the deception that keeps you in bondage. And he offers you forgiveness, eternal life, if today you repent of your sins and trust in him. So we see that the truth unites, bears, fruit, guards, And finally, the truth completes our joy. Quickly, look at verse 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face 
so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Now here, John says something astounding. He says there's much more to say. He's already said so much, but there's much, much more. But I don't want to write pen and paper. I don't want to write it down. Rather, John wants to be the gathering with the saints. He wants to see this church face to face. And it's not just about being with the church he's after. He doesn't want to go on a church barbecue with them. No, rather, he desires to bring the truth of the gospel. Beloved, the truth completes our joy when it is preached in the gathered assembly. There is nothing like the preaching of God's word here in the local church. God has designed the gathering of the saints to be the primary means to keep us enduring in the faith. God has designed this gathering, this assembly, who is devoted to the truth, who submits to the truth, who sings about the truth, to endure to the end. This is his means of grace to you, Christian. This is the main way we're discipled by the truth. This is the main way we grow in the truth. This is the main way we delight in the truth and worship our God together. Members of grace, do you long for Sunday, just like the Apostle John do you love the assembly of the saints? Not just when we're together at a picnic. That's great. But do you long for this assembly? Do you long to be together under the preaching of the word? This is God's main means to keep you persevering to the end. So let us not be like the world who thinks that community can be experienced over the world wide web. Rather, let us devote ourselves to the flesh and blood gathering of the saints. Where else would you want to be? This is where we come to receive the food of God's holy word together. It is here we come around the gospel and worship God together. It is here where the gospel truth rings forth in the songs we sing and the truth we share. It is here where the gospel shows us, reminds us the foretaste of heaven to come. So let's endure in truth together as we gather one Sunday after the next until one day we join that heavenly assembly forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you for the joy we have together as your children. Help us to love one another and persevere to the end. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.